New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Alan Kaufman. He's the author of Drunken Angel, a memoir. Alan, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'd like to have you talk about your whole writing process. I mean, besides this memoir, you've written an earlier memoir, Jew Boy. You've written a novel, Matches. You've done anthologies on poetry and literature. And uh, so I'd love to hear from you something about your writing process. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, I like to think of it really as writing practice because um, writers tend to be chaotic and we need a little structure. So I found it very, very important to practice writing on a daily basis and to create conditions which will accommodate my imagination, accommodate my desire and need to express. So uh, what I have found principally important is to write at the same time each day, at the beginning of the day, to write for the same amount of time each day, and to write in the same location each day. So that establishes what? A feeling of uh, safety, uh, sanctuary, um, a place where I can set aside the troubles of the world and go in and just be with my um, my need to write. And you don't necessarily have a an end result like, okay, I'm writing a novel now or I'm... Sometimes maybe you might have that or sometimes not. I, what? Well, pr- practice, uh, you know, accommodates intention. And so um, if I don't know what I'm planning to write, if I don't have a particular intention, um, I can assign myself something to write about. Um, I can do that randomly and uh, just write about that and make sure to stay on point writing only about that. It can be something currently in my life or a memory from the past that feels imminent and important to express and to make sure to complete that. Um, But sometimes I do have a larger intention, such as to write a book. And so um, Jew Boy, for instance, was uh, summarized to myself as a book about being the son of a Holocaust survivor. Matches, my novel, was a book about being an Israeli soldier. And Drunken Angel was a book about my recovery from alcoholism. This was the assignment that I gave to my imagination. I summarized it that way and said, okay, what would I have to say if I did write about this? When you were first in recovery, you had a sponsor who assigned you, gave you an assignment that I guess he recognized you as a a poet, and, and he said, okay, you need to write three poems every week. That's correct. And like, that, what, what an odd thing. I mean, to do the steps, but also write these poems. How was that for you? He said that, you know, 
you know, I told him that I had always aspired to be a writer, but had, and he said, well, what, what books have you written? I said, well, none. And uh, he said, well, then how can you call yourself a writer? Um, writers write books. So he said, I think you have a short attention span, which was true. So why don't you start out writing three poems a week? And the next week I brought him three poems and said, what do you think? And he said, well, I'm not going to read them. I don't like poetry myself. <laughs> <laughs> but now go out and read and write another three poems and bring them back next week. And he was establishing for me a rhythm of practice. Um, as I proceeded forward um, through poetry, you know, it became evident to me that I wanted a larger canvas to paint on. I wanted to write books. But I did have a very short attention span. So my sponsor suggested to me that I might want to look into meditation, which, of course, is part of the steps, the practice of the steps. He said, I think you need to get into meditation because your, your focus, you know, is so brief. So I investigated all these forms of meditation and not medication, meditation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then finally I came to um, Zen. Oh, that's a tough one, too. I mean, very really tough. very tough. And, uh, you know, I... You I, just eased right into it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I was terrified. I was sitting in the Zendo and all these guys walking around in black robes. It was completely not... It was antithetical to everything I understood. Um, but I hung in there. And um, several years later, I was lay-ordained as a Zen practitioner at the Zen Center in San Francisco. Concurrent with that was the publication of my first book, Jew Boy. I mean, it cap happened virtually almost at the same time because I had acquired the ability to sit in front of that blank page and contain the anxiety and write. And kind of releasing the outcomes, so to speak, not, not worrying about what ultimately would happen with it, but just the writing itself. Yeah, in fact, even letting go of the writing itself, in other words, all I was responsible to do was to sit in front of a blank page with my pen ready for three hours each day and wait and see what happens. And inevitably, I would get so bored that I would begin to write. All right. So um, you in the poetry, there was one particular poem you that you wrote called emphysema man uh, your sponsor also now now that you've you've been sober from alcohol uh he's telling you okay now you gotta quit smoking <laughs> well he walked into my room one day when i was about a year sober and i was just lying there um, on this little bed in my room place filled with smoke and cigarette ashtrays heaped with cigarette butts and uh, he said how's it going in here <laughs> and it, well, you know, I could barely get up I was so knocked flat by tobacco and um, so he said you might want to think about giving up cigarettes and that was a hard one I was so I was the cigarettes were holding down so much anger and disappointment and I don't know what and um, at that time, I was visited by a poet friend of mine who I said to him, you know, I, I'm really having a hard time. I can't write. Cigarettes are like a part of my writing process. I have to have a cigarette in my hand. He said, well, why don't you write a poem about giving up cigarettes? So I did. I wrote a poem called The Last Emphysema Gasp of the Marlboro Man. 
um, when I performed that at Cafe Babar in San Francisco, in the audience was a reporter for the San Francisco Weekly with a photographer who photographed me and then interviewed me for an article that appeared in the centerfold uh, of the San Francisco Weekly. That was read by an Austrian writer who got interested in what I, the kind of poetry I was doing and approached me and, um, and got me invited to my first performance tour in Germany. And that was a time, I mean, you, you were barely had clothes on your back, and here you get this call from Germany. It was, and- it was remarkable. I mean, the trajectory from quitting smoking to that was direct. Um, in other words, and I've always said this to my writing students, because I do teach writing, that um, you, have to, you have to make sacrifices. Um, as you go forward, it's going to transform you. Writing and the needs of writing are going to transform you, and you must meet those or fail. And it might involve giving up a bad relationship, or it might be involved getting another different kind of job, or it might involve uh, quitting cigarettes and, or alcohol or whatever it is. You're going to have to sacrifice that if you want to be a writer. That's been my experience. So, yes, I did get this letter invitation and followed up with a phone call. And they said, you know, we want you to come to Germany and to do a performance tour here. And I was like, my question was like, and I'm, how am I going to get to Germany? So, well, we'll pay for it. And where am I going to stay? Oh, we're going to put you up in a hotel. And I said, okay, one last question. Uh, how am I going to get to the airport from here? Because <laughs> I'm flat broke. <laughs> And they worked it all out, and I got paid handsomely and went on a five-city tour. That's just, that's so amazing that somebody would call. And they were probably amazed that they were talking to you and that to realize that you didn't even have the car fare to the airport. There was no Muni shuttle at that time, and, you know, it was going to have to be super shuttle or some other means, and I didn't even, I couldn't even imagine doing that. I mean, I was picking my... I mean, you were eating out of Picking my clothes out of dumpsters and uh, eating in the soup kitchens of St. Vincent de Paul's and St. Anthony's in San Francisco, so couldn't imagine it. Came back with money enough to move out of the place I was living, and had a girlfriend at the time. We moved into another nicer place and you know began to make money as a writer it was it was a miracle it is a miracle it's a miracle and did you did you always know that you would be a writer or you inspired to it or since i was 10 when i was 10 i announced to everybody in my 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 family (laughs) i'm going to be a writer and to all my teachers i'm going to be a writer so you knew you knew that then, and I think one of your sponsors said, "You know, it's a gift to know what your gift is." That's right. Well, he said, "You know, I don't want to be a writer, and nobody else I know I wants to be a writer. So who put that in you? What put that in you? It must be." He said, "It must be God. It must be your higher power that put that in you, and you have been drinking and using to avoid that, and you can no longer afford to do that. You have to do this. And this is what was meant for you to do." And he was right. That was my destiny. And in in that, you're you're um, you you don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know the why of it, and and you just have to keep turning it over. Like, okay, I think he said something like, "Well, you know, if God gave you that talent, then He's not going to squash you and not allow you to 
to do it. You have to come to the plate, though, but, but he, still. God, he said God did not get you sober to screw you over. He uh-huh. used another word, but yes, uh, <laughs> yes, that was uh, what he basically said, and he was right. That has been my, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate to have books published and to be on tours, and, um, you know, it's been, it's been a wonderful, a wonderful ride. Yes. And there was there was a moment when you you have a daughter in Israel and uh, you wanted to visit her had no money to do it and your sponsor said okay well make a budget and and that's the first step and that's right I said I have to see my daughter year after year and you're saying you know I don't know it doesn't seem like it's right yet you don't her mother doesn't want you to see her and you don't have any money so why don't you just let go of it and see what happens and. I did year after year, and then year six of my sobriety, I said, you know, I really have to see my daughter. She said, I think you're right. I said, well, how am I going to do that? I don't have a penny one. I was still broke, you know, barely making it. He said, well, find out how much it costs to go. And so I did. I went to a travel agent, and I sat there who did all this work for me. And then she said, so do you want to book the ticket? I said, no, I don't have a penny. (laughs) And I went home that night, and a fax came in from Berlin, the Berlin Jewish Cultural Festival, uh, asking if I would perform at the Berlin Jewish Cultural Festival with Allen Ginsberg and Kathy Acker and others, and uh, paying, you know, a round-trip ticket and, and good money. And I called my sponsor and said, you won't believe this. This is crazy. He goes, no, I believe it. He goes, fax them back and ask them, uh, will they extend your return flight to Tel Aviv so that you can go see your daughter? And I did that, and they said, of course. And that's how I got to see my daughter. It was, again, you know, I use the word miracle a lot, maybe too often, but it all seems to me like a miracle. It is. It's really un- the way it unfolds. And and you, you talk about that over and over in, in your book, and, and you give so many beautiful, uh, share with us some of the beautiful sayings that, that keep us going in uh, in 12-step programs, uh, which I, I just found very comforting. To, don't stop before the miracle occurs. Don't quit before the miracle. I heard yeah. that often. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to believe, you know, when you're sitting there, you know, you're a year and a half sober and, you know, you, you've got barely one suit of clothes on your back and you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Um, don't quit before the miracle. You know, I never thought I would have books published. There was something deep inside of me that deeply wanted that, to write and have books published, but didn't think it would be possible for me. There's that sense of shame inside and uh, not both deserving. And, uh, you know, in sobriety, all that has been proven not to be the case. Alan, uh, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking with Alan Kaufman. He's the author of Drunken Angel, as well as Jew Boy and the novel Matches, and uh, the Outlaw Bible, an anthology, the Outlaw Bible of American Poetry, and another anthology that he co-edited, the Outlaw Bible of American Literature. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, pen.org slash Alan dash Kaufman. That's pen, P-E-N dot org, O-R-G slash Alan, A-L-A-N dash Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N. 
or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and I thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.